Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Fiona Ko-Chan. Fiona is the founder of Youthphoria. Prior to starting Youthphoria, Fiona worked in tech startups in SF managing their Asia business, which led to her traveling to extremely polluted cities. Through this experience, she realized that her normal skincare and makeup routine didn't work, and she became passionate about reducing the down the drain impact of personal care products. With Youthphoria, she started the first bio-based beauty and personal care company, which means Youthphoria doesn't formulate with fossil fuels or liquid plastic. Fiona has been featured in Vogue, Cosmopolitan, WWD, Verdi, and others. Fiona, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we're so excited to have you on our podcast today. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. So talk about your upbringing to me and, you know, what your family was like, where you grew up. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I grew up in San Francisco, which uh, might be slightly different from other Asian American experiences in that I went to a high school that was like 90% Asian. I think even when I talk to um, Asians in other parts of the world, I I think that's a very uniquely uh, a unique experience being in the Western world where you're in a community that's full, full of Asians. So growing up, I didn't really feel like a minority. Um, My parents were always pretty supportive um, in terms of making sure that I was I don't know, doing something that was fulfilling. Um, But yeah, I went to a very academically competitive high school. um, And I think, uh, I don't know, I guess my parents were always like, do well in school, but I don't know, like, if they were really pressuring me to do well in school. I think they, I think they just said that, but I don't know, it's been so long. Uh, Oh my gosh, your upbringing is so similar to mine. So for all the listeners who don't know Fiona and I, went to school to the, together and we, I guess we kind of grew up together in a way, right? Yeah, we, we, went, a couple, to, we went to middle school together. <laughs> yeah, middle school, middle school. And yeah, it's, it's, I always say the same thing to other people too, how um, I grew up in like predominantly Asian areas and Asian cities and schools. And it's just a little bit different because a majority of our um, interviewees on our podcast, they, a lot of them grew up in like the Midwest or places that are like predominantly white, you know, or non-Asian. And so our experience is a little bit different um you know i i feel like we have always we never knew that we were a minority until like we go out to different cities right or like that is 100 true (laughs) i did not i didn't know um what that felt like until maybe i was 18 and i went to college and i think a lot of asian americans or even like asians in uh western uh countries they might have experienced that when they were like three or four 
So it's kind of like a delayed experience for that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super curious because I feel like the in the schools that we grew up in, you know, or that we went to, they didn't really teach us a lot about entrepreneurship or, you know, they didn't really teach us those skills to really like sustain ourselves in the business world. Right. Or like to like start your own business. They didn't really encourage that. So I'm curious to know, like how you got your entrepreneurial mindset and like what made you decide to become an entrepreneur at the end of the day? I just remember growing up um, and like sitting in cars with my parents and seeing billboards and thinking one day, like I would love like a, to, to have my company on a billboard. I do remember like, especially the like, schools that we went to, um, I went to a really competitive high school. And I remember one of my teachers was like, this school trains you to become a middle manager. And it's like, it's a weird thing to, to hear because it's a great public school and everything. But yeah, it definitely was not encouraged, um, not by like the like adult figures in in our lives. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely wasn't. And especially like with my family too, like none of my family members are entrepreneurial. Um, curious to know, like, did anyone in your family become entrepreneurs as well? My grandparents were, um, but that was in Vietnam. And I think, I think when I was young, I was, I always said like, I'm going to start my own business. I don't think my parents discouraged that, but they were always about um, playing it safe and, you know, do do well in school, have a good job. So it, it wasn't like they were against that, but they definitely like encouraged a different, uh, like a different message and a different path. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I know that you had worked um, as like a partner mark at, uh, at, for a partner marketing firm before at EMC, um, and you did like some other corporate jobs as well. Talk about your experience there and like what that jump was like when you decided to do entrepreneurship full time. I think I always had that in the back of my mind and I was always thinking like, is this going to get me closer? I think a lot of those early jobs, like to be honest, did not um, get me closer to um, entrepreneurship. I think they were just like, okay, let's, let's try a corporate job out of college, see what that's like. And very quickly I realized, you know, I don't think this is um, getting me closer to what I wanted to do. So EMC was a, a massive company. I think it was like I don't know, over tens of thousands of employees. Um, and then I went to a startup that was, I think about a hundred-ish people um, and you know, got to experience what that environment was like. And even at like a hundred people, like that's a pretty later stage company. It's, it's, you know, it's still pretty hectic, but it's not quite the same as like starting your own business. It's a, definitely a different set of challenges that you experience on the day-to-day basis. For sure. For sure. And then what was that turning point like for you when you decided, okay, I want to start my own business and, you know, maybe the corporate job is not right for me um, because I feel like a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs in our community are going through a similar journey right now where they're, you know, stuck in their nine to five and they feel like they want to become an entrepreneur, but they don't really know how to make that jump. Um, I know that you had, kind of receive inspiration for starting your own company while you were traveling abroad. So what was that like for you? Yeah, like a couple of years ago, I was working, um, I was traveling a lot to Asia and I was like living out of hotels, going to these really polluted cities where data centers are, which basically means it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in, I don't know, these miscellaneous countries. 
and I would like be sleeping with like N95s because it was so polluted. And I realized, my gosh, my like my entire skincare and beauty routine just wasn't working. And, you know, obviously in, in Asia, it's the skincare capital of the world. They have really figured out how do you really maintain your skin in these like really harsh environments? Like when you can't control your air or your water, the only thing you can control is what you eat and what you put on top of your face. Um, so through that experience, I was just really like, I just really wanted makeup that was good for uh, good for me and good for my skin. And that kind of inspired that. And then COVID hit um, at the time I was like in Asia visiting uh, my husband, you know, if we were kind of long distance flying back and forth and it was like, OK, I'm not going to get back on a plane. Like what what can I start from like my apartment? Um, what what what's going to be easy? Um, of course, it wasn't easy. I just thought it was easy. And maybe that gave me the encouragement because I was like, it can't be that hard. Um, it was it was actually pretty difficult um but maybe that gave me the confidence to really start oh my goodness I remember like to all the listeners out there I remember when like Fiona and I were talking through Instagram messaging and it was when you had like first had that this idea like I want to start a skincare brand but it grew so so fast and I personally have like a similar struggle you know I sleep in my makeup all the time (laughs) well I try not to but sometimes I just can't help it when you're like out all night and you're just tired like so tired I'm like I'm so lazy to take off all my makeup and showering is like a whole process like it just takes so long um and so I'm always like man it just feels terrible in the morning when I sleep in my makeup but no one has really done anything like this before where they're creating makeup that you can sleep in. I've never heard of that before until you started Euphoria. Um, what were kind of like the challenges kind of creating this 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 new product that no one has ever really done before because I'm sure it comes with a lot of challenges and I'm sure there's a lot of people who didn't even believe it as well. You know, I think we kind of have to like make people change their mindset of like, okay, there, there could be makeup that I could sleep in, right? And so this this whole like paradigm shift of like changing people's minds, mindset to believe, you know, that it could be possible. We could sleep in our makeup um, if we do it correctly and if we use the right product. So what was like the kind of, the kind of challenges that you went through starting Euphoria? I think even like just that concept, right? Makeup you can sleep in. Um, how do you make like makeup that's so good for your skin that you can sleep in and it's not going to wreck your skin? I mean, like even like I remember just in the beginning, I, I thought, okay, makeup for me because it was COVID, I couldn't see anyone. I was like, makeup's about going out. It's like what you said. I have one one sip of wine. I'm sleeping in my makeup that day. I did it so much when I was you know 18 and and, and younger and. I just remember thinking, I really want this to exist. I think it's crazy enough of an idea that I don't think anyone else is going to do it. And I think like, this isn't gonna exist unless I do it. Um, But I do remember um, saying, you know, I'm gonna sleep in every product. I'm gonna sleep in it in an extended period of time. I also made my husband sleep in these products too because he was my only guinea pig at the time. Um, I I didn't see anyone, but I didn't tell anyone also. When I was doing, when I was, like doing these tests, I just didn't tell anyone because I knew that people would find me crazy um, until like the products were like much closer to, to where they are now. Um, what was challenging was like, how do you make makeup that acts like skincare? Like you have to think about makeup in a completely different way. Um, and then we made also like makeup without fossil fuels, which is incredibly difficult to do because um, most makeup is just made out of fossil fuels. It's like sourcing different ingredients. It's a little bit more challenging on the chemistry side. Um, but I do think that's actually why the makeup's good for your skin, it's because we don't use fossil fuels. 
Oh, wow. That's so amazing. And it's, it's crazy hearing just like the chemistry of you creating that makeup. Cause I would, I don't even know what's in my makeup, right. Or like what makes my skin break out if I sleep in it. So it's like, it's so awesome hearing you um, talk about that experience of like creating that makeup and seeing what works best for your skin. Um, talk about that process. Like what was it like, just like writing it out. And I'm sure you, you mentioned that you were doing it in your apartment and what was it like kind of like creating makeup in your apartment and seeing what works best for your skin? Did you have to go through like a bunch of trial and errors to actually get to what you needed to get to? Yeah. So we were lucky because we found um, a lab to work with before COVID hit, but everything else was like thrown, like run through um, just mailing samples back and forth, giving feedback um, and having, having to like describe textures. That was really interesting over WhatsApp and video. So that was like a new, almost like a new language and a new vocabulary that vocabulary that I was trying to develop to like, how do you explain like certain little minute things to make sure all the products um, work together. And I think through that process, I just kind of became really obsessed with like making products that worked really well that it just kind of came over time it it didn't come naturally it was incredibly challenging because i remember the first couple tries when we made by blush if you guys don't know what it is it's a green color changing blush oil so it reacts to your skin's ph different color on everyone um but it's like a neutral enough pink that it looks like just gorgeous on everyone. But the first couple of trials of that, it was not, it was not as good as what it is now. Like I have some pictures where I look like a clown, like it just, we were adjusting everything. Um, some of the early formulas, like they had um, ingredients that like I was really irritated to and like my skin is so sensitive. I can, um, there's certain things where I can still probably end up at the hospital with allergic reactions because my skin's so sensitive. Um, so we're really strict about what ingredients we do use. Oh, wow. That's yeah, that's so amazing. And I personally have very, very sensitive skin too. So anything that doesn't work well with my skin, I like, I start breaking out completely. Um, so I definitely understand where you're coming from. Like I, I have to make sure like a lot of the makeup products and ingredients that I use in my makeup is, you know, like safe for my skin or it's, um, it's good for like eczema prone skin, Mm. which is very, very hard to find. Um, but you know, talking about euphoria, it blew up so fast. And just like, I remember when I had first talked to you when you were trying to build the skincare and makeup brand, um, you, you had such a big dream. And I think that's what I really admire about you, that you really knew exactly what you wanted and you hit the ground running with it. Um, and you took action. Um, and that's why I really admire you, but I think a lot of people are just wondering, like, how did you become so viral so fast? Um, for any of you guys who don't know, I, we put Euphoria in our Asian Hustle Network holiday gift guide as well. So, um, just like letting other people know about Euphoria was just really, really amazing. But a lot of people actually commented on it and said like, oh my gosh, Euphoria!" And so they knew about it already. Um, and it seems like it's getting a lot of, you know, attention and a lot of news coverage as well. How were you able to get it so viral? And did you, what kind of like social media platforms did you use for the brand as well? Yeah, TikTok is huge for us. Instagram is huge for us. I think I remember in the very beginning, I was like, okay, we're, we we need to make something that will look good on video. It's going to go viral on um, social. That was always the intention. Um, TikTok's interesting because you need to talk about, you know, your, your products or the value propositions in like nine seconds. It's a very different communication style. Um, but I do remember the first video um, that I did that blew up. I think it was like my fourth time making a TikTok. It was just 
comparing BYO blush to a powder blush. For me, I just knew that I made a really good blush formula and I knew that the product would speak for itself. Like visually, it looks really different from a powder product and that just blew up and it was like, okay, let's compare blush to like a different blush, uh, you know, blush oil to like a cream blush or like blush oil to, I don't know, um, a blush stick. And I, I knew that the product would speak for itself because it's so visually different. It creates such a dewy effect. And I think for me, I was like, you know what? I made a great product. I really want to get it out there. I'm not a content creator. I was, you know, not an influencer, nothing, nothing like that. I just wanted the product to, you know, kind of show for itself, like how good it was. And I even look back to some of the early TikToks that did well. And I'm like, that's not that great of a, you know, that's not that good of like content. Like it could have been edited tighter, but I think it was just so unique and different at that time. Um, so that kind of, uh, worked in our favor. That's so amazing. Yeah. I love watching your videos on TikTok and um, on your Instagram reels as well, because you do like a really clear comparison of um, like the, the blush oil compared to like powder. And it's really, really helpful. And I love just like how the colors pop on your brand. Um, and that's really obvious, like, especially if you go onto the Euphoria website, you have just like a bunch of different colors that are very bright and vibrant. Um, were you part of, were you the one who kind of chose this kind of branding for Euphoria? And like, does it, do you feel like a part of your personality is like seeping into the branding for Euphoria as well? Oh, totally. I feel like it's like everything that I don't feel comfortable expressing when I walk on the street is like, is euphoria. It's very colorful. I think for me, you know, um, again, it was like that first week of COVID. I was looking around on Instagram and I was like, everything is very muted. And this was like in 2020. So like, you know, everything was really black and white and very muted. And I was like, I would just love more color and more pop. And I was really um, inspired by what some of the fashion houses were doing. Like Off-White is always, you know, doing something really crazy. Gucci's always doing something very colorful. I wasn't seeing that in, um, in uh, beauty aesthetics. It was very like muted or millennial pink. And I was like, I don't know. There's like some disconnect with how I like to dress or like the products I like to look at um, and what was on, what was on my um, makeup counter. <laughs> the millennial pink oh my gosh <laughs> that's everywhere but yes your branding is like it attracts I feel like it attracts a lot of Gen Z's as well and they definitely know exactly like what looks good and what is good for you know their makeup and everything like that so I really really love the branding for Euphoria um since you've started Euphoria how has the company grown like are you still the only person working on it with your husband or did you start hiring more people to work under you yeah, we have um, a team of three other people. My husband still like helps me a lot um, part time, and yeah, we're slightly like we're slowly growing. It's still a very very small team, but every time we decide to like make a hiring decision, it's kind of like, okay, we need to make a hire. Like, how fast can we do it? It's not very planned out at this point. <laughs> what kind of things do you um, look for in an employee? Because I know, you know, especially for founders, we definitely want to bring on people who represent our vision and our brand. And, you know, sometimes we we hire people that might not be the best fit. Right. But especially for a skincare you know, brand, it's it's really important to choose the right people. So what type of things do you look for when you're hiring people to be a part of the Euphoria company? 
Yeah, I like um, trying to bring in different perspectives. Like we have someone who's who loves makeup and loves the artistry side of things. And then we have someone who like loves skincare, loves like the ingredient side of things. And it's great because like we have this um, we can always like have these like discussions and debates of like, okay, from this perspective, what works for you from this perspective? Like this is what speaks to me. We always try to keep like a pretty tight, um, I don't know, editing uh, forum where we can kind of just discuss things and figure out like where exactly all of our messaging needs to be or visually where everything needs to be. I love that. I love that so much. And yeah, I definitely can tell that you put a lot of thought and effort into the messaging for Euphoria. Um, and it's just like so visually appealing as well. Um, in the skincare business, there's just so much competition. And I think some people can even say it's like saturated as well, right? And I think it's it's it can very it can become very competitive if you're trying to start a skincare business. Um, how do you think that you were able to view competition when you were first starting out Euphoria, and even now today? Because I think there's especially like during the pandemic, I feel like there were so many skincare businesses that came out of it. I, I'm pretty sure that people were stuck inside their home, and you know they didn't have anything to do, so they were trying to create and you know put together makeup, um, and then they created a brand, right? So I think that there were a lot that came from the pandemic, um, yours included. And so how do you kind of view your competitors and what do you do to make sure that it, it stands out aside from obviously being a, a skincare brand that or a makeup brand where you can sleep in? Yeah, I think, I mean, it ultimately goes down to product. Like I think your product actually has to be really good. It has to like I don't know, feel different or perform different than anything that's out there. And I'm not saying like completely invent new products like I did. I think that's actually very difficult to do, but it is like, you know, I think when a customer experiences your product for the first time, that's their introduction to the brand. You always have to make the product um, be such a focus. I think if it's, you know, a product where all you did was like slap your name on a different type of uh, different type of like packaging, different, you know, and it's still the same thing. I think customers can see through that and it's 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 difficult or at least for for me, I would think that it would, it would be really difficult to stand out. I think for us, um, there was such a long process going into um, product development and, and formulations that like I can make, I don't know, 100 TikToks about our products because I've just been, been in it for so long. I love watching your TikToks, so I'm excited to see all of those 100 videos. <laughs> so I know that, you know, being a founder, it can become very, very daunting. Um, and this is your first time starting a company, right? Um, can you talk about like, you know, some of the darkest moments that you had? Because, you know, personally, like for Brian and myself, just running Asian Hustle Network, there are some days where we're just like, man, is this going to be worth it in the long run? Right. And for a minute, you know, you don't even pay yourself, right. Because you just want to return all of your, you know, profit back into the company and put it back into the company so that you can make more products or, you know, make sure that you, you build your brand. Right. And it can become very, very daunting. It can become very stressful. So did you have any of like those darker moments where you just like questioned yourself and thought, man, should I keep going? And is this going to be worth it? And if so, like, how did you kind of get over those moments? Yes, and definitely so many of those moments. I think at least like, I don't know, once a week or every couple of days, like there's always something that happens um, when a, even like a couple months 
before this, I would have treated those experiences very differently. In the very early days, it would be like, oh my God, this formula is not good enough. Like, can I really do this? Is this going to work? Now I'm like, okay, it's just part of the process. Um, there's certain things where there's certain points where I'm like, okay, not everything is going to be right the first time. And I'm just going to treat it as that's just part of the process to get to where I need to go or where I, where, you know, where it ends up landing. There's still a ton of things we haven't figured out, but my approach to this is like to not have a mental breakdown every single, every single time it comes up, but definitely in the early, early days, I wish someone had told me this, that like, this is a hundred percent just a mental game, like learn how to um, handle these situations better because there were so many of these moments where um, you really do question everything. And now I'm, you know, I, I, I think a lot about, you know, I'm really passionate about this. I can get through it or it's just part of the process. I try to reframe it in my mind a little bit because I mean, this happens like every couple of days, like you, you can't have, you know, your off days, like every third day of the month, you know? That's so true. I absolutely agree with you. There's just a bunch of fires every single day and it gets to a point where like, if there's no fire on a certain day, you start to wonder like, what's going on, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, those things, those moments used to really like freak me out. And now I'm just like, Okay. Like it's, it's not worth losing sleep over. Like it's just part of the day. Um, yeah. I, I almost, I almost like expected or anticipated it so that it doesn't completely derail my, my week. Yeah, for sure. I think like a good way to look at it is like, we always wonder if we're going to get over the certain scenario or the situation or this fire, but then we eventually do get over it. Right. And then we look back and we're like, Oh, like that was such an easy problem. Like, why did I stress out about it? Because there's bigger problems ahead of us. And then there's a bigger one the next day and the next day, but we eventually do get over it. Right. And we, we tend to look back and we think like, wow, those were such, such like minuscule issues. Like, you know, I can accomplish so much more. Um, I think that's just something to, to note. like we, we're actually capable of more than we, than we think we are. Um, but you know, just speaking about that topic, because there's like so many fires that happen in entrepreneurship and just starting a business and running a company, how do you manage your mental health as well? Um, because I think a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, they tend to have a ritual or maybe like a morning routine. Do you have anything like that? And how do you manage your mental health? Definitely have a ritual. Um, you know, I definitely wake up and I always think back to like, I don't know, I always try to think from a state where I just feel really confident in who I am and, and you know, what's um, what, I, you know, what I'm about. And I always detach myself or like my notion of my self-worth from my company, even though Euphoria, when you make the brand or like when I make the brand, it's so me. I detach myself from it because it's it's just much easier to operate that way um, when you kind of cannot when you separate yourself from your company. I think it's super important, especially for mental health. Um, and then the other thing I do is, you know, if I have a fear or um, an emotion, I just kind of acknowledge that it exists. And then usually it, it kind of dissipates. Like when you, I think, don't acknowledge these fears or these doubts, like they can just kind of boil underneath and then it kind of comes up at a very unexpected time. So I always you know, if I have like a doubt or I don't know, something is bothering me, I'll just, just acknowledge the emotion just so that it doesn't um, show up later. Yeah, I think especially in the Asian culture as well, we tend to sweep un everything under the rug. You know, we always want to save face and pretend that everything is okay. But mm -hmm. I think we have to normalize that, you know, especially as founders and Asian founders that 
maybe not everything is okay at every single minute of the day, right? And we have to just accept that and and come face to face with those those problems rather than kind of running away from them. Um, and just like on that topic of being an Asian founder, especially an Asian women founder, um, did you ever have any issues or anything that you faced where you had like any, facing discrimination just being in the field? Um, or just like any struggles in general being an Asian woman founder in this field? I don't think so, but I think it's also because I never met, I haven't met a lot of people face-to-face -face in this process. <laughs> a lot of things have been over email. Yeah. I, I would actually, I, I, I think a lot of people I've spoken to, I've never even spoken to, like, or maybe haven't even done Zoom calls with. Um, but I do know that like beauty is very dominated by, by men and it's surprising to me. And I think it's kind of why, like for me, I remember thinking like, why doesn't makeup that's good for your skin exist? Like when it, as, you know, as a person who wears makeup every day, like that makes a lot of sense. And I think the industry is really interesting because it's so male dominated. And I think um, luckily for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't work in the industry beforehand. I think I would have been discouraged. And luckily for me, I didn't see a lot of people in person. I think I would have like felt those experiences also. Yeah, that's very true. I think every industry, most of the industries, you know, that we know of are male dominated. Um, and it's especially the ones that are supposed to be led by females, you know, that where we know. know it the best, you know, that that we can only know of um, and that like men probably won't won't know as well as we do. But they are still very, very male dominated, which is just like pretty surprising to me. Um, but I'm just so just proud of like what you're doing in the space and you're really just creating a whole new movement and something that has never been done before. Um, so what do you think is like up next for Euthphoria and yourself in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I'm working on a ton of products. There's a lot of product categories that I'm like, you know, obviously foundation is something I'm, I've been working on for a while and it's, you know, the product that I really, really want to release. But even like just thinking of, um, how we can improve on certain makeup products if we can invent like i don't know new categories or popularize new categories that's super exciting for me but it's been definitely very challenging in terms of like having enough time having enough resources um managing how that works because we're still self-funded um and you know it's, it's i'm still at the point where like i'm not i'm probably not gonna pay myself for i don't know a lot a lot longer so it's still like kind of that struggle and there's always that stress going on but i i don't know i feel like there's products where i really want to um, make a useful version of it or like put our spin on it that like kind of keeps me going um because i think i don't know i think it would be a shame if i quit before making a foundation or quit before making some of these other product lines that i'm i feel pretty passionate about yeah i i definitely can envision that and i i definitely think that you will be able to get there so i'm super excited to see you come out with uh different makeups and different lines and yeah just so excited for all of the the things that you have lined up for euphoria um and i know that you mentioned you're you're gonna be you know you usually are so so busy how do you manage your own time i think that's that would be like really helpful for some of our listeners as well because being a founder we're constantly working and there's like this meme that says like i gave up my nine to five to work 24 7 <laughs> which is so so true and i think that's an understatement like 
that is extremely true. I, but then we do it because we're passionate about it, right? Like we don't want to be stuck doing a nine to five for something that we're not passionate about because we would rather, you know, work full time and 24 seven on something that we actually do love. And I can see that, you know, you are passionate about, you know, makeup and just creating something that the world has never seen before. Um, and just like so much on your plate, how do you manage your own time? I feel like I don't have much of a social life right now and that helps things a lot. Um, you know, I obviously don't, I don't, I don't have kids and that I, I think that also helps. Um, but for me, how I manage my time, I mean, I'm working from all like, I don't know, 16 hour days, 18 hour days. I don't know how long I work, but I'm pretty much working every waking hour. Um, and like a lot of that time goes, you know, a, a good portion of that time goes into making content. A lot of that goes into just like operations and, uh, you know, managing the team and doing marketing, doing new products. I don't know. I, I actually just think I do work a lot and I don't have any good advice for that other than like, I try to make sure that I sleep for all the other hours that I'm not working. I'm trying to be like completely asleep. So I get rested. Um, if I didn't get a good night's sleep, I don't know how I would do this. <laughs> yeah. Sleep is very important. I feel like all founders have a very similar answer. Like we still are trying to figure out the time situation and the time management situation, but I mean, how do you manage your, your schedule and your time? Oh man, it gets hard. Like sometimes I still have to ask other people, like, how do you, how should I manage my time better? But I think the most important thing is like to time block, you know, especially, and I work with like Brian, who's my significant other as well. So it gets very challenging when you're also living and working and in a relationship with your significant other, because oftentimes we'll like have dinner together and we'll talk about, you know, the business. And I'm sure you and your husband will talk about euphoria as well. Um, but then it starts to go like, you know, okay, maybe we, we shouldn't be talking about business like 24 seven, right. Cause you have to make sure that you're spending quality time with yourself and spending quality time with your loved ones. Um, so just making boundaries, making boundaries is very, very important. And just like, making sure you time block as well. If you're going to have, you know, 12 PM to 1 PM just for yourself to relax and meditate, you know, then no one can set meetings during that time. Right. And I think you just have to like reinforce those boundaries or else if you're just like very lenient on those boundaries and you know, it's just going to get worse and worse and you're just going to start, you know, saying, okay, yes, like schedule a meeting here, schedule a meeting there. It does get hard. Um, I think, as founders, we often try to fit as many tasks in one day and it gets very tempting to like do as much as possible. Um, but just, you know, always keep in mind that we're only human and we also have to make time for ourselves. So I don't have the best answer as well. Like, I don't think a lot of us do, but I think we're just trying to like see what works best for us and everyone is different, you know? Yeah, I have like a rule where it's like every week we go out on a date, except for we like talk about the work on the date, but it's in a different setting. So it feels like, you know, it, it, I don't know, it feels different. And uh, the other thing I like to do is like golden hour. I don't have meetings so I can make content and I make um, like anytime there's good sunlight, like we'll block out the time to make sure there's no meetings so that, our, you know, everyone can film what they need to film. Yeah, I love that. Oh my God, that's the first time I heard of that golden hour. And that's just like a good time to just kind of unplug and, you know, relax during golden hour because it's like the most beautiful time of the day. <laughs> so, Fiona, I have one last question for you. And that is if you could give an advice to an aspiring entrepreneur, 
what would that one advice be? And it can be in general, or it can be like someone who's trying to get into makeup business and industry. Um, but what would that one advice be? Just start your business. I think my only regret was that I didn't start this earlier. I think even that process of like the very early days to now, it was like huge, huge struggle, but I'm glad that I went through it um, because I, I am like a very different person now. Um, I handle, you know, challenges very differently and I, I can't wait to see like what I'm like in two years from now because um, I'm sure it'll be very different. But I think, you know, I think I used to, I don't know, let fear like kind of hold me back or like procrastinate something that I wanted to do. And there's just no better time to start. I, I, I do think like that's the one thing that I wish someone told me. I wish I started this, I don't know, even when I was like 20 something, 22 or something. Yeah, that's that's really, really good advice. And I think it's it's so like common for us to hear that, like just start your business. And we hear that on like an everyday basis. But I think it really does become as simple as that. You know, I think we often are inhibited or we are prevented to achieving our goals or starting our business because we fear of like what may happen or we fear of the failure, right? But I think what a lot of us don't understand is like a lot of us as entrepreneurs or founders, sometimes we have to keep trying and trying until something actually works. But we don't, we never show the audience or the outsiders like, what became successful and what became a failure. Um, they only hear about what became successful. Right. And so I think that's a really important thing to just keep in mind of, of like, you just have to keep trying and just get started and you never know where it will take you. Yeah. There's like this, um, I forget which writer it was, I think it's David Goggin. He's like a ultra marathon. Yeah. I love, I love this book. Um, can't hurt me. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love his um, concept where it's like, you have like the callous mind. So you'd go through like several things where like, it really is a struggle. And now like your, you know, your mind's callous and you can go through the next thing that's, you know, the next hard thing that comes up and you are more resilient towards it. I think that is so true. Yes, that is extremely true. I think he also mentioned another thing in his book where we're actually like operating at 30 or 40% of our ability. And we have like so much more ahead of us that we can tap into that we're not even aware of. Um, so that's just something really interesting. Amazing, Fiona. It was so awesome having you on our podcast. Um, please share with our followers and listeners where we can find you and Euthphoria online. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at get Euthphoria and then TikTok is at Euthphoria. And then my personal Instagram is Fiona Kochan. Okay, awesome. We'll leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was amazing hearing your story. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.